If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. Um, we are a, a family. We do life together. It's more than just a place to go to church. Um, we uh, um, know a lot about each other. We spend a lot of time together. We walk together. Um, as you're joining us this morning, you're kind of parachuting into that context, and I know that can be uh, frightening. Visiting churches can be a really scary deal. You never know what folks might do in a church setting, and uh, you never know what churches are like, and, and they're just some very uh, different churches. And um, whatever your experience this morning, the main thing that I want you to hear from us is that uh, we're cheering for you as you search for a church home, and I hope that's what you're up to this morning. I hope you're not just, yeah. I think I ought to go to church this, this morning, but I hope you're really actually about something, looking for a place to land, um, because that's important. That That is, um, I, I don't know how people navigate. I, I will say this, I'll be very specific. I don't know how Christians navigate without being a meaningful part of a local body. I don't, I don't know how you exist out there as an island. Um, I, I don't know that you do. And uh, my encouragement to you this morning is a strong encouragement is that we have thick skin, and it's okay if this is not a place for you. Um, if it is and you want to learn more about who we are, you can visit that little table on the way out this morning. If it isn't, over the course of the day or the morning, you're like, I, I think we need to keep looking. That's totally okay, man. We have thick skin, um, and we're cheering for you. So land somewhere. This is the, the, maybe the one chance I get to encourage you in that. We're going to pray this morning, <clears throat> or we're going to continue our worship time. I'm going to pray for a local church. We do that each week. We don't pray because there's something wrong with the church. We try not to pray reactively for other churches, although we will. Um, we pray proactively that God would be glorified through their ministry. So we're going to pray for Holland Terrace Baptist Church, uh, for Chet Haney and his wife, Terry. Uh, we're going to pray for our little brother, Trevor. Uh, Daniel, who has been um, diagnosed with lymphoma this week. He's nine, is that right? Ethan, nine, and uh, we're going to pray for his family, uh, pray for his uh, treatment. Let's pray. God, we uh, are so thankful that we have the opportunity this morning to gather as family. Lord, we are thankful that we are um, um, thankful that you've connected us in a way that's more than just uh, as acquaintances that are uh, see each other once a week or see each other occasionally, but as people that are, are really truly doing life together. I cannot imagine, can't imagine any other way. Um, and this morning, as brothers and sisters that are just truly a family, Lord, we want to lift up one of our little bitty brothers, um, Trevor, and uh, lot to pray for there. I'm not sure I, I can get through that. Pray for his family. Uh, pray for his parents, his uh, brother and sister. I pray for Trevor. Uh, Lord, I pray that through this that you will grow him to be a giant. And um, we are entrusting his care to you, uh, his body, his heart. Um, I pray that he's not afraid He's leaning into you, and uh, pray that you'll be glorified through uh, what's going to be a challenging season. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for another church in our community. Pray for Holland Terrace Baptist Church, uh, for Chet Haney and his wife, Terry. 
Uh, Lord, we pray that there are great problems at Highland Terrace Baptist Church like parking issues and uh, space issues for people to sit um, or people to have class um, as they study the Bible together. Lord, we pray that they have issues like trying to figure out where they're going to put their little kids in the nursery. Um, Lord, we pray that they have big problems like trying to figure out uh, how they're going to employ uh, the offerings that you are providing um, through the people of God there at Highland Terrace uh, in kingdom work, Lord. I just pray for big and great problems for them, Lord. And I pray that they are are uh, seeking your face as they're going through those types of things, Lord. I pray for Chet and Terry. Uh, I pray for their marriage. I pray that they are fueled by worship, Lord. I pray that this uh, the passage that we've been in these last few weeks and will be in this morning, I uh, pray that something that will will uh, something that they know well or well versed in as they are walking in. Uh, this living play of the relationship between Christ and the church and their marriage. And uh, we're entrusting them to you, Lord. We're entrusting the church to you. And um, thankful for the opportunity to lift them up this morning. Uh, Lord, we uh, turn these few minutes over to you. I pray for uh, clarity of speech and mind. Um, pray for um, just a, uh, a sweet time of equipping, not only for husbands, but for worshipers this morning. <clears throat> Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you can turn to page 979 of the Bible in the seat bottom in front of you. Some of the other ESVs, <clears throat> that page number might work as well. ESV is what, what we traditionally use here at Crosspoint. That's the English Standard Version. <clears throat> 979. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even say what, what passage. Ephesians 5. Turn there myself. We've been in a study uh, in Ephesians um, 5 on the home, and it'll move on into chapter 6 on the home. Uh, a passage of scripture that's called the household code. And there's a passage that in some ways has kind of been a touch point for us, where we uh, kind of like that game Twister, where you have... Um, you know, your foot on one color and your hand on another color and you're trying to do this. We have this one place where we want to keep a hand at all times as we move through this household code. And it's on this particular passage. And I'll share with you what it is. And then I'm going to read our whole passage uh, together. But this sort of home base for us, this color that we want to keep a hand on throughout our journey through this household code section is in chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. <clears throat> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That may be a familiar passage to nearly everybody in here. Most weddings, I think that's shared at some point um, in this verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it, marriage, refers to Christ and the church. This is a quote that goes all the way back from uh, the book of Genesis. It's an ages-old design that we're studying this morning. Thousands of years old. Uh, an ancient design and the design of marriage. Um, and the, the beauty in this passage, as Paul uh, 2,000 years ago shared with the Ephesian church, <clears throat> is that millions of unions, including the unions that are represented in here, all point to the archetype, okay, the, the source, the, the model, or they all model after the archetype of the relationship between Christ and the church. What's really wonderful about this passage is that Paul in some ways says, okay, what's been a mystery for thousands of years, I'm now going to explain to you all of those unions 
are about Christ and the church. So that's why I was able to pray this morning. I'm praying that our, equip, our, our husbands will be equipped, but I'm also praying that a room full of worshipers will be equipped because it's not just about husbands and wives. We're talking about the relationship ultimately of Christ and the church. Um, that it's, as you read this passage, and I'm, or as you're, you listen, I'm going to read this passage here in a moment. Um, there might be times where you're wondering, uh, Paul, are you talking about husbands and wives? Or are you talking about the, the relationship between Christ and the church? And I think the answer is yes. Yes, we're talking about both. Okay? And probably more so the latter. Okay? I'm going to read our whole passage, and then we'll uh, move into our, our plan for the morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 25. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their, their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let me give you a plan for the morning. I want to give you kind of a map. I like to have a, a listening map where... Uh, as I'm listening to someone speak, or I have some idea where they're going, the map for the morning is we're going to be in uh, verses 28 through 30, okay, for home base, which is embedded right in the middle of the section that I just read. 28 through 30. We will deal briefly with verses 31 and 32, uh, but home base will primarily be verses 28 through 30. I'm going to give a light orientation, kind of acquaint you with the passage, okay, and that's going to happen first. And then second, um, we're going to deal with two claims that Paul makes from this passage. Two claims, okay? And then third, I have a silver bullet help for husbands. I mean, it's a home run. So this, you, if you're a husband and you, you've been looking for some, a silver bullet, you're here in the right um, place at the right time. Divine appointment. I'm going to read verses 28 through 30 again with just a brief orientation. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. This phrase, in the same way, is something that sort of points us backward and points us forward. It points us backward to a contrast that Paul has already been developing there, that if you've been here these last few weeks, even if you've paid attention this morning, you've probably already noticed this, but it's a contrast between husbands and wives and Christ and the church. We called it a living play last week, this decades-long, in some cases, living play that's called marriage. And in this contrast, the wife plays the part of the church and the husband plays the part of Christ. Both have very, very important roles. I, I um, take the role that husbands play is very seriously with great sobriety because we're considering that we're, we in this living play are representing the part of Christ we uh, should take it very seriously. We should be listening to, especially when somebody says, man, I have a silver bullet for you. 
So I hope you're excited about that. The phrase all also, as it points backwards in the same way, it points forwards. It tells us that Paul is continuing this contrast between husbands and wives and Christ and the church. Okay? And as we look forward, what, what Paul is doing here in this passage that we're going to look at today is it's sort of an extended explanation of the nature of the love that he's commanded husbands to walk in in verse 25. You remember the command last week? Just this simple, singular command. Simple, not easy. Husbands, love your wives. This morning is going to be sort of an explanation of how that should play out. Now, there's two claims that Paul has presented here. And I've asked uh, Ethan to uh, put those up on a slide for me. And I've got my laser pointer. In case any, any wives noticed uh, in previous weeks when I was preaching on wives submitting to their husbands that we use this, I need to make sure we used it this morning that we've got husbands lasered and we've got a slide and everything. So I want to make sure that nobody even think we weren't being equitable. Okay. All right. Any excuse to use my laser, point, laser pointer is, is a good excuse. Okay. So there's two claims that come from this passage. It, I, I thought this morning might be, might be interesting if we sort of unpacked it in a different way. Instead of just typically working through the verse like we typically do, um, or normally do, we'll, we'll look at these two claims and try and make sense of them. Try and figure out, are they good claims? Is there found, are, there, are there good reasons for these claims? Um, is Paul, does Paul make his case well? And what does it have to do with husbands? Okay, so here's the first claim. And I'm doing these out of order from the passage. Just, I don't know why, but just because. I think it's um, uh, maybe because I want to deal with the easiest one first. Okay, so here's the first claim. That reasonable folks nourish, see I'm using my pointer, nourish and cherish their own bodies. Okay, that's in verse 29. That reasonable folks cherish and nourish their own bodies. Okay, go ahead and give me that second claim, Ethan. There's the second one. The man who loves his wife loves himself in verse 28. We're going to spend these next few minutes sort of unpacking these claims, sort of trying to make sense of them. Okay, this first claim, you can leave that up there for for a while, Ethan, and then you can just take it off when you feel like the time's right. (laughs) Okay, the first claim, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now, this claim is pretty easy, and this is why I wanted to deal with this one first, because I think it's the easiest, easiest of the two. You don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure this one out. Okay, you think about this for a minute. Most folks are really, really, really good at taking care of their own needs. Okay, from day, from day one. Now, a baby is not going to be able to take care of him, but he can sure cry out, or she can sure cry out and say, I'm hungry, or at least indicate that they are hungry or messy and need some attention. Folks, on the whole, pretty much, are attentive to meeting their own needs. And Paul uses a couple of words here from the nursery to help illustrate that. And those words are nourish and cherish. Let me just give you a little bit of background on each of these words. First of all, nourish. The word means to bring up from childhood, to raise up. Okay, it's also used in chapter 6, verse 4, of the relationship that fathers have to their kids. Fathers. It's not just a mom thing. In fact, it may be especially a dad thing that we nourish our children. Uh, Some versions apparently actually use the word feed. (laughs) I hope dads are feeding their kids, you know. I hope that that, uh, husbands feed their wives. You know, it's sort of a weird translation. It actually means a whole lot more than feed, 
Okay, it's not just a, an edible experience. Uh, it involves nourishing, speaks to physical, emotional, spiritual, and psychological care. And we do these things with ourselves all day, every minute of the day. Okay, we're pretty good at it. Okay, the second word there that he uses is the word cherish. This word literally means to heat. Okay, it comes from the, the or what, what might be a good way to visualize it uh, contextually is to comfort or to warm. Like when you're cold, you do like, like everybody does. You put on a cardigan, right? <laughs> Jeff Ott, he put, go, runs for his cardigan. Yeah, of course, of course we all do. We, we tend to ourselves when we're cold. We're really good at it. Nobody really had to teach us how to do these things. <clears throat> Most folks are pretty attentive to meeting their own needs most if not all of the time. In fact, I would call it our full-time job. And some people are especially attentive to meeting their own needs. I've been accused of being high maintenance, and I don't know why. I don't know why that, like when we travel, I have separate bags for all the different things that I need to tend to myself. I am very, very attentive to myself. So there is a term for that. It's the term high maintenance. But we all maintain ourselves to a pretty high degree pretty well. When we're hungry, ideally before we get to the point of being hangry, we get some food. When we're cold, we get a blanket or a jacket. When we're tired, we rest. Uh, There's a guy that we ride bikes with, a handful of guys, even in our church, that ride bikes together uh, often, bicycles, not, not motorcycles. There are probably some motorcycles too, but I'm talking bicycles. And there's this guy that we ride with in town. His name is Sonny. And I hope this is not a bad thing I'm sharing with you because I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's pretty amazing. This guy has more stuff on his bike than anybody I've ever seen. He's like a traveling uh, storm chaser. He's like a bicycle version of a storm chaser. All right, he's got multiple power meters on his bike. Okay, Power meters, is a, it, it measures how, much, how many watts you're actually putting into the bicycle wheels. He's got multiple power meters on one bike. Okay, I don't know why, but just in case, you know, um, one goes out or something. He's got all, he's got like wind, things that detect the wind direction and speed. You know, and thankfully it's not one of those little things that spin around with a cup on it. You know, but it wouldn't surprise me if he had one of those mounted on his handlebars. He's got this cool, like, aerodynamic helmet, you know. He's got all the gear and all the gadgetry on this thing. <clears throat> I was thinking about um, this week, if, if, if there was such thing as, like, you could run a pick into a, a, a vessel or something, he would probably do that so he could measure his lactic acid, his glycogen levels, blood glucose, you know, while he's out riding. I mean, this guy is like a surgeon on the bike with all his equipment. And to top it all off, <clears throat> he has a pair of glasses, that have a heads-up display in the glasses. All right, the, they make those now. I mean, a lot of guys that I've raced with over, over the last couple of years, they're not a, not a, they've only been around the last couple of years. You can see your watts. You can see everything up here within a heads-up display in your glasses. And he's got those. I mean, this guy is like a visual, I think, of how we all move. I mean, really. If we're hungry, man, it's on a heads-up display. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. we got to take care of that. <laughs> if we're tired, it's on a heads-up display. You know, the little fuel thing is running low. 
We go rest somewhere. We park it somewhere. We are great at this. Sonny, just, just as a, a, a visual of, I think, what we all do really well. Now, one of the things that I think is cool as you really consider Paul using these terms to describe a man. A man nourishes and cherishes himself pretty naturally. These two things come by, or we come by very naturally. Okay? We don't have to be taught these things. Okay? We don't need extensive training. The second thing that I think is it's interesting that comes uh, as you really think about these two, the two things, nourishing and cherishing, is we do this for ourselves regardless of our imperfections and our frailties. Let me think about that. I think um, uh, typically we don't abuse or neglect ourselves if we've been a jerk to somebody. Okay? We don't either, uh, on top of this, I don't think that we necessarily um, abuse or neglect ourselves if we've disappointed ourselves. In fact, what I do is I go the other extreme and I go medicate. Okay, like say, for example, if I'm on a diet and I've gone off the diet and I've disappointed myself, man, instead of taking it out on myself, I go get something to eat. <laughs> Make me feel better. Man, think about this. This nourishing and cherishing thing, we come by it naturally for ourselves. Okay, we don't have to be taught to do this. And we do this for ourselves regardless of our imperfections and our frailties. This, can, this ministry to ourselves is consistent and relentless and not based on the performance of the recipient. You understand what I'm saying? Some people kind of nod their head like, I know where you're going with that. Exactly. Okay, you can take that where it should go. Okay, here's the second claim. Let's, let's examine the second claim. <coughs> the first claim, is that still up there? There's a the first claim that reasonable folks nourish and cherish their own bodies. <coughs> Easy. The second claim, the man who loves his wife loves himself. This one is a little more challenging to me. Um, for it would seem a man who takes care of his wife, like as in nourishing and cherishing his wife, will we'll just by nature of, of doing that take care of himself less. I mean, really, if we're going to think about how the passage seems like what's being communicated there, how the passage should read, it seems like it ought to read, he who loves his wife loves himself less. I mean, really, let's just be really honest about it. Let's think about this in terms of a full-time job. If you have a full-time job, and that's what I described that we all have, we have that heads-up display, we're constantly monitoring our levels of everything, and man, we're on it. If something's low, we're going to top it off. We're going to make sure we don't have anything that's, um, that's running low there. That's a full-time job for us. If we have a full-time job, and then you take on a second part-time job, what's going to happen to the full-time job? It's going to suffer some, because there's only so much of you. I thought about it this way. A man loving his wife and tending to her needs will have to leave some of his needs unmet. And I wanted to illustrate this in basic, some basic math. Okay, I'm kind of do, dealing with some English stuff today and some math. You'll hear some English stuff later. So all the teachers in the room are really going to be excited. Okay, here's my math, my basic math. Here's, here's my first math equation here. 24 hours in the day, that's a static thing. 
Okay, that doesn't change, and it's not going to change tomorrow. It's not going to change next week. There are 24 hours in one or in a day. There's one of you, okay, before you're married. Think about this. This man, we're kind of aiming this at men. Men, before they're married, before they say I do, there's one man. So that man has 24 hours of needs met. It's a full-time job, okay? Now here's my next equation. When you add in another person, 24 divided by 2, that means you've got 12 hours of needs met. Okay, something's got to give. Okay, if we're just going to look at this as a math equation, something has got to give. It is basic math. It seems like this passage ought to read, he who loves his wife loves himself less. Okay? Now, let's see if we can crack the code on these two claims. Okay, the first one having to do with human nature, the second one having to do with disappointing math. Okay, we're going to try and crack the code on these two claims and figure out what they have to do with this uh, union of husband and wife and this ages-old mystery of, um, of these ages-old millions of unions that display the archetype of Christ in the church. And I think that's where we have to go to crack the code. I think we have to go to the color that we, we, we put our hand on this morning and go back to that home base in verse 31 and 32. Let's look at it. If you're still there in Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 31. <clears throat> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, that's a key uh, little phrase there. Two become one Flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what's going on here? Let me kind of give you a little bit of background uh, into what, uh, what's going on in this passage. When a man leaves his father and mother, he cleaves to his wife. This word cleave was actually used in metallurgy and had to do with like two different metals that were uh, bonded, glued, or melded together. Okay. What's kind of cool about that and what every man and woman in here should enjoy in that imagery is that it doesn't become an alloy. Okay, So a husband and wife, when they marry, they're not somehow lost in one another. Okay, You, you, don't, you don't become a blending where you're gone and she's gone and now the two of you become some, some combination of the two. You still maintain your identity as copper or silver, for example. You're melded, cleaving to one another. I just thought that was a beautiful image. The man leaves his father and mother. He cleaves to his wife in the covenant of marriage. And in God's eyes, they become one flesh. The two become one flesh. The union of man and woman is so profound <laughs> that God sees them as one organism, really. One being. Not one and the same. Okay, Not with one soul. You don't lose your identity. It's not an alloy but one flesh with copper and silver, for example, melded together. This is a pretty profound union. In fact, it's so profound that um, uh, you can walk into a wedding ceremony, okay, a man and a woman, who each are more related to your family members than anyone else in the world. You share DNA, after all. Okay? You share genetics. You share uh, history. You share story. You walk into a wedding ceremony... And then when you walk out, 
that man and woman that were both connected more to their family genetically, DNA in every way, history-wise, when they walk out of that building, they're now more connected to one another than they were to these guys. That's how profound that covenant is. And we've used the, the phrase before over the years, covenant is thicker than blood. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the melding that takes place in the marriage ceremony where the two become one. I think that's what's going on. I think that's what's behind this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You don't need to turn there, but just kind of listen to what sounds, seems like is behind this passage. You can if you want. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, listen to just the spirit of this passage. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now listen to this passage here. This is the sort of the spirit of this union. For the wife does not have authority over, over her own body, but the husband does. Okay? And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I think what's behind that passage is this concept of the two becoming one. It's almost a sense that, hey, that's my body too. God liked us to be together intimately because that's my body too. That, we don't have to go into any greater detail than that, but you kind of get the sense of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> now with that in hand, okay, with that sort of concept in hand where the two become one, let's go back to our claims and try and make sense of them. Okay? The first claim that reasonable folks cherish and nourish their own bodies, now in light of marriage, okay, as a man previously cared for himself full-time, and which is, which is okay, by the way, to continue to care for yourself, men, and take care of yourself. Okay? As he previously cared for him, his own needs, when he marries, then he also cares for, listen to this phrasing, the rest of him. He cares for the rest of him. He cares for who has been glued to him. He's to be mindful of her hunger as he has been his own. He's to be mindful of her warmth as he has in the past his own. And he's now, through this one flesh union of marriage, to care for her well-being as he's cared for his own. Like a man in the past has tended to himself with his heads-up display, taking care of these, these levels all day, uh, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, now he's got two heads-up displays. He's got one in each, each uh, edge of the periphery there. We can constantly monitor how his wife is doing, how things are going, asking and answering these questions of his wife. What do you need, rest of me? Are you hungry, rest of me? Now, that's the ages old fight. Where are we going to eat dinner tonight? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> but still ask the question. Let's try and figure it out. Where do you want to eat, rest of me? Are you tired? rest of me? Are you hungry, rest of me? Are you cold, rest of me? Are you frightened? Are you anxious? Are you happy? Are you concerned? Are you frazzled? Are you overwhelmed? Are you hopeless? Are you discouraged? Are you delighted? Are you sad, rest of me? Man, you've got a lot on your heads up display there that you have been tending to for many of you for many years. But you got a lot of data points to be caring for for that second heads-up display for the rest of you. 
for that person that you've been united to. You should cherish and nourish her as you've done that in the past. The Christian husband, I think, when he says, I do, he trades one full-time job for two part-time jobs. Okay? Now, this is a tall order for husbands. I'm going to have some really good news for you in a moment, husbands. I think that the silver bullet I've been promising you, I want to hold that out there. But I want to deal with the second claim first. Excuse me. I want to deal with the second claim. Let me get a drink of water. I hate to cough in this mic, but I really need to clear my throat. I hope I can do this without doing that. As to the second claim, the man who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? Seems like less. Remember we pointed that out. The man who loves his wife seems like he's going to be loving himself less. That hard-to-figure outcome makes total sense in light of the one-flesh union between a man and woman in marriage. As he loves her, he loves himself because she's now part of him and he's part of her. Okay, we're not dealing with funny math. Let's put that that equation back up there. I asked Ethan to do a little little, um, uh, modification on that second. Yeah. Okay, what had previously been 24 over 1, where you got 24 hours a day of caring for yourself, uh, when you're married... You know, in terms of numbers, you know, there's two of you walking around. There's still copper. There's silver. Okay, you think you're going to put a two underneath there, but that two, according to what happens in the marital union, that two is gone, and now there's one. It goes back to one again. 24 over one still equals 24 hours of needs met. Okay, this isn't fake news. This isn't funny math. This is just truth. Okay, this is what happens for a man in the union of marriage, when he cares for him, his wife, he's still caring for himself. That's how he's able to continue caring for himself as he's caring for his wife. And here's the counterintuitive beauty in this. This, is, this, is comes, this comes from reports from husbands who are loving their wives this way. Okay, first-hand reports. Okay, check this out. The counterintuitive beauty. A husband who genuinely cares for tends to nourishes and cherishes his wife actually ends up blessing himself more so than he would if he was just tending to himself 24-7. It's like an exponentially more. It's crazy. These are reports, first-hand reports. And you know what's interesting? There's a, the opposite of that is true for guys who in marriage continue to just focus on themselves 24-7, the most unhappy guys in the world. I got a guarantee for you guys. Keep keep at it where you're just living by your own heads up display and so focused on your own needs, you're going to be the unhappiest guy in the world. But the reports from guys that are actually really tending to their wives in an attentive way is man, there's a blessedness in that. More so than the guy who's tending to himself 24/7. It's just crazy. When he gives up the full-time job of tending to himself and takes on <clears throat> two part-time jobs of nourishing and cherishing both himself and his wife, he makes more money than he did in his original full-time job. Okay, there's, let's, let's make a currency illustration there. He ends up with more money in the bank. Husbands, here's a promise for you. The less focused you are on your own nourishing and cherishing and the more you are on hers, you're going to actually end up getting more of what you need and want naturally. It's not fake news. It's truth. 
<laughs> it's good news. All right. Now, there's two claims there, I think, that make total sense in light of the one flesh union of man and woman in marriage. Now, here's the silver bullet. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> Guys, I hope you've been hanging in there for this silver bullet. I want to take you back to where we began this morning. Um, uh, we, we began reading this passage in verse 25. Let me read that passage again and show you something that's really cool. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, those, both of those verbs of what Christ did for the church are past tense. He loved her and he gave himself up for her. Now look at our passage now where we are today in verse 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Okay, here's the really good news um, for men. I don't know if you noticed this, but Christ's love and his giving himself were both past tense in verse 25. Yet the verbs attributed to Christ here for what he does with the bride are present tense. That Christ nourishes, present tense, and cherishes the church. See, Christ is currently, I hope we all believe that in here this morning, that Christ is currently loving the church, nourishing her, and cherishing her while, husbands, you're called to nourish and cherish your wives. Okay, here's, here's the silver bullet for you. Men, you cannot hope to give your wives an ongoing cherishing and nourishing ministry except that you are on the receiving end of Christ's ongoing cherishing and nourishing ministry to the church. In some ways, what I'm calling the men to and the husbands specifically in this room is to be churchmen I'm calling you to be churchmen. I'm calling you to be serious about being part of a local body. Remember, I invited the visitors, land somewhere. It's okay if it's not here, but land somewhere so that you can be on the receiving end of the cherishing and nourishing ministry of Christ to the church so that you can be fueled up with this unbelievable level of cherishing and nourishing fuel for your bride. I don't know how you can do that apart from being on the receiving end of his cherishing and nourishing ministry to the church. That's the silver bullet, man. That's the silver bullet. Sit under the teaching and preaching of the word. That's what it means to be a churchman. Be attentive to the teaching and preaching of the word. That's what it means to be a churchman. Take notes. Discuss it. Talk about it with your buddies. Engage other men on things that matter, like a series on how to be a better husband. Be sober about matters like that. Remember the part you're playing? You're playing the part of Christ. Being a churchman means that you are serious about the ministry that Christ has to the local body and that you are neck deep in it, receiving it, walking in it. Men, you should lead out. And honey, we need to be part of a life group. Honey, we need to be walking with the people of God between Sundays because if we only see them on Sundays and we bump into them and we say hi and we shake their hand, that's something, but it's a far cry of what it would really be if we were doing life together. You would have wives that you could talk to over the course of the week that could give you some encouragement and a reminder of your role as the Christ is to the church of loving and respecting your husbands. 
I would have men that I'm bumping elbows with during the week that could remind me of my role in playing Christ in the home, in the marriage. Man, I, being a churchman is not necessarily about be, be, you know, having a, a I, don't, I don't know what it would be, the perfect attendance at the local body. It's about a seriousness and attentiveness to being on the receiving end of Christ's ministry to the church. Men should lead out in that. Man, that's your job. And that's the silver bullet. All right. We're going to have our supper here in a minute, but I want to share a thought with you before we distribute the elements. We have our Lord's Supper every week. Let me just encourage you in this. Uh, If you are not a believer, uh, this supper is not for you. And we're not being ugly in that. Supper is... uh, uh, it is more than a symbol, and I'm about to explain that here in a minute, but it is a, um, um, something that we do every week as we enjoy our Savior and Lord. So if he's not your Savior and Lord, then maybe just listen and watch and consider what's taking place here. But this is when the people of God, the followers of Christ, have essentially a meal together. Okay? It's not a big meal. It's just a wee little meal, but it is um, a, an experience that we participate in every single week as we enjoy our Savior and Lord. So if you are a follower of Christ, I invite you to take and receive as we distribute. Okay, well, let me just share these thoughts with you. I told you I had some English thoughts. Uh, we've already had some basic math. I hope the, um, the math teachers were encouraged. Now for the English teachers, uh, let me talk about similes and metaphors. If you were to read this passage face value, it looks like a simile. Okay, a comparison using like or as. Okay? In this case, there's an as in there. The husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. Okay? It's a simile. Okay? And this, um, the, 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 um, the simile is obvious. Okay? Um, but I want you to consider this. It's more than a simile. Okay? It's more than just a comparison using like or as. Because as the husband loves, um, excuse me, let, me, let me rephrase this. The husband loves Christ as he's loving the wife. Okay, so it's more than just a comparison because the ones compared are involved in the other comparison in some ways. Okay, uh, uh, let me see if I can rephrase this. The husband loves Christ and is loved by Christ while he's loving his wife as Christ loved the church. See, it's more than just a comparison using like or as. It's complicated and convoluted, and it's, it's, it's the, all the lines are crossed. It's more than a simile, and it's more than a metaphor. A, a, a metaphor is a reference to something um, to, as like a device to help explain another. Okay, here's an example of a metaphor. She's a walking dictionary. Okay, she's not literally a walking dictionary because she, she's not a book. Okay, she's a human being. But you know what is being said there. She's spent a lot of time with the dictionary. She's got a massive vocabulary. She knows a lot of, lot of data about words and what they mean. Uh, the dictionary is used to shed light on her vocabulary, but she has no real organic connection to the dictionary. Okay. While the marriage, while marriage is a device mentioned to explain Christ in the church, the husband and wife are embedded within what's being explained. There's an organic connection to what's being explained. Okay, it's not some inanimate object. We're talking about something that you're actually inextricably connected to. Okay, marriage is more than metaphor, more than simile. It is a true organic 
overlapping experience called worship. When Christ is nourishing and cherishing, the nourishing and cherishing, we're talking about worship. When the servant husband is served by Christ, we're talking about worship. See, I think it's the best plan that Satan could possibly have to just make all this stuff symbolic and simile and metaphor. He can do that with a supper too. It's just a symbol. If we just view this as just a symbol, then meh, why bother gathering with the local body to have the supper? But if you view it as something that's more than just a symbol, we're not talking that we're saying that we're believing that this is somehow turning into the body and blood of Christ. I'm not saying that. But I believe when God's people gather and we take the supper together, it is a real experience of our Savior. Just like when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and a wife loves and respects her husband, there's this real experience of the gospel going on there. It's not just a symbol. And nor is this. We experience and enjoy together our groom in a real way. He's here with us. Man, let's distribute these elements and enjoy this supper together in more than a symbol, more than a simile. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful for these, um, these few thoughts that we've been able to consider this morning. I'm thankful for these claims. I'm thankful for what you've shown us about the role of the husband. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've shown us about Christ, that he has an active part in nourishing and cherishing us. And Lord, we recognize that as we take the supper every week, that we're actually walking and being nourished and cherished right now. Every person in this room that takes and eats. I'm thankful that this has been more than a marriage study, but it's been a gospel study. God, I'm thankful that we've had these few moments together. I pray that you are equipping us. I pray that you're stirring us, that you're giving meaning to things that just seem so commonplace and so ordinary. Lord, we love you. We trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's distribute the elements.